Welcome to The Sad Bastard. I'm your host, Dave Tarnowski. I think I might be lonely. For some reason, that's always hard for me to admit. I've always enjoyed being alone. But when I feel lonely, I start to question whether I truly enjoy it, or if it's just an old defense mechanism. Like, do I tell myself that just to brainwash myself? I've been working on changing so much this past year, yet there are many things that are staying the same or even getting worse. I was isolating myself way before COVID. Social distancing, staying home, no problem. But for years, I always had my wife there, even if only so much, because her career keeps her busy enough for 10 people. Truth be told, I think part of what led us to the end was that I was lonely most of the time I was with her ever since we moved to DC. I'm not blaming her, mind you. It's my fault I didn't get out there and make friends other than her. And now that I live alone in a city where I pretty much don't know anyone other than her and people I met through her, I'm feeling a bit adrift. All of my socializing is done online and has been for a very long time which is fine until it's not. And right now I'm feeling like I need more. But how? How? I've never known how to just go out and meet people. I have terrible social anxiety, which I used to medicate with alcohol. But since I've been sober, who's free for over five years now? I've basically been a hermit. I really only went out when it was with my wife. And a pandemic that only keeps getting worse isn't really the time to start, even if I did know how to meet people or allowed myself to. Being an introvert can be such a bitch. But fuck, do I miss human touch. I miss hugs like crazy. I keep thinking of something my friend Lisa said to me not too long ago. I think if I got a hug right now, I'd squirt. <laughs> but honestly, at the same time, I have this revulsion to the idea of even trying to get out there and meeting people. Like, I want to, but also I don't even want to leave my apartment. I'm still working through the old trauma. The shit that told me that I'm unlovable, unworthy of friends that no one ever really cared about me, they just hung out with me out of pity. That good things will always end at some point. So what's the point of even trying? I really need to get over this shit. But for now, while I keep myself isolated, I will keep reaching out to people virtually, because doing this makes me happy. Sharing my stories, talking about my mental health and what I've learned about myself and how much I've come to terms with myself since being diagnosed as bipolar talking about my struggles with finding the right medication helping others going through similar things feel seen I know I'm not alone and neither are you but that doesn't mean I don't get lonely I miss my wife a ton
I'm not gonna lie. Not that you can't tell. Even though things weren't great a lot of the time, and I take a lot of the blame for that, we had each other. I had her back and she had mine. But I didn't start to have my own back until the end. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in April, and she and I split in June. I was only starting to learn about myself, and all the shit this mental illness had gotten me into, or at least helped me get into. But it doesn't matter. Regardless of why I did the things I did, and kept them secret, and didn't tell the truth, and wasn't vulnerable with her, what's done is done. I wish with all my heart that all the things I've said on this podcast about how I felt about anything related to her and us were things I had said before it was too late, before we were too broken to be fixed. I just didn't know how. For years, I didn't know how. I felt ashamed of so many things. I had broken her trust way too many times and hurt her way too many times. I didn't want to have the hard conversations. Meanwhile, I should have wanted to have them every day so that eventually they would stop being hard and just be conversations. I should have fought for us instead of just sitting there like a fucking lump and letting things happen and making things worse. But I can't live in shoulds. You're shooting all over yourself, she used to say. She also used to say, I love you. I miss that more than anything. I'm so afraid I'll never feel a love like I did with her. But whatever I feel with whoever I'm with in the future will be different. And it should be. And I'll learn from losing her, just as I learned from being with her. You can never reclaim what you once had with someone. Those things only reside in memories. Photographs. Videos. But the thing is, even if you get back together with someone, they're a different person. You're a different person. If she and I got back together, things would be drastically different because of all the things we've gone through since breaking up. When a long relationship breaks up, things break inside you individually as well. And you aren't there together to help heal those things like you would have been when you were together. So you're healing on your own. And through that healing comes change. If you can accept it, you can change into a better person and move forward you can't, it can very easily turn you bitter and keep you rooted in the past. Accepting change, change that you don't want, is terribly hard, but it's not impossible. We broke up just before the start of summer, and this was the worst fucking summer of my life. She and I didn't talk much, and we didn't see each other at all. But then in September, we finally did. Somehow I knew immediately that what we had was gone forever. 
even though this was the same person I had gone to sleep with every night and woke up next to every morning and kissed and laughed with for nearly seven years up until just a few months prior. She wasn't a drastically different person, just different towards me, or I felt her as different. I remember being very ill at ease at first, very nervous. She was very caring and very judgmental, which was par for the course for when we were together. Sometimes the dynamics you have can never change. Sometimes they deepen. And those things are important to take note of. Often we can romanticize our former relationships and shunt aside the bad shit. She always held more power in the relationship than I did. That was part of the problem, part of my problem. Because quite frankly, I gave her my share of it. I didn't step into my power until the very end, and even then it was just with a toe, just to test the waters. And then COVID hit and everything went to shit. This is why you always need to enjoy the good times while they're there. And you need to not believe that when the bad times come, they'll be there forever. I used to be a fixer. If my wife was upset, I'd rush to make sure she would calm down immediately. Bad feelings weren't allowed. This was something I was raised believing. There's this wonderful Instagram page, Notes from Your Therapist, where an actual therapist named Allison Deneen, not just some guy who makes memes who is sharing his experiences. She writes little notes, little bits of hard-earned wisdom, and posts photos of them. And there's one I want to share with you. After growing up thinking that if someone I love is upset, that meant I had to fix something. I'm glad I learned that it's actually okay for people to feel upset. I could literally spend an entire podcast just reading her posts to you. They're that good. She's got a book coming out in January that I cannot wait to read. And I encourage you all to pick it up and follow her page. Anyway... The point is, I was always afraid when she was upset. My wife, not Alison Deneen, that would be weird. And from very early on, I always feared that we'd break up whenever she'd be mad at me. But then she got a piece of advice from a friend and, like Alison, wrote it on a note, but she posted it on our fridge instead of on Instagram. It said, let my mood be my mood. I wish we had practiced that more. We were both raised similar ways. We were both fixers and pleasers. And we both needed to speak all of the love languages with each other. Especially words of affirmation at all times. But the one I needed most was quality time. I knew that from the beginning. That things weren't going to be easy. She just worked too much. I knew a lot of things from the beginning that were going to be problems throughout. But I loved her with a passion that rivaled any love I had ever felt in my life. From the very beginning, I still love her. I still want to fix things. But all I can do now is look at the broken parts and learn from them. 
I'm now an anthropologist studying my former relationship, like ancient pottery, in order to learn more about what happened to the civilization of two that we had created together. And to heal the broken parts inside me and learn who I am now in this world of one. And the deep regret that I can't go back and mend things, that I could have done things differently, is something I just have to live with. But I'm changing. I'm learning from my past mistakes. Not just to avoid doing things I did to blow up the relationship, but to avoid the things I allowed from the start. The things I gave up. The power I ceded to her. I was afraid of being alone, of making it through life without her, without the safety of our unit. Even if I took it for granted, quite often. But being honest with myself, I had that fear until the very end. My love for her, my desperate love for her, was something I was willing to accept anything for. She was the rock I found to cling to in the sea of sex I had been drowning myself in for years. And she was so different from any of the women I had met. I could tell she was loving, and I wanted all of her love. All I wanted was love. But it turned out I also needed a mother. I needed someone to heal me, to tell me what to do, but also to inspire me to grow up and step into my power, to believe in myself and stop wasting my life. And she was perfectly suited for that role. I grew more with her than I had in the 35 years I lived before we met. But giving up control, or rather not taking control of my life, kept me from being a strong advocate for myself. To create the boundaries I lacked back then. She had them. And because I lacked them, because I lacked the strength to say no and stick to it, I weakened myself by acquiescing, which led to me acting out. It's like I had learned nothing from my first marriage, or if I had the recklessness over my life over the next five years completely obliterated it. And it's not like I couldn't have said no and moved on and found a new girlfriend. I'd been dating like it was a second job, to quote a bartender at my local bar, where I met up with a large percentage of my dates. But nothing would ever really come out of those dates. And if you listen to the episode of this podcast called Do the Work, you'll know that towards the end, I wasn't even coming. I wanted love, not just sex. I was desperate for love. If I had been honest from the beginning, set my own boundaries and risked losing her, I would likely be a very, very different person right now, as would she. We were incredibly codependent. And one of the most difficult parts of losing a relationship like that can be figuring out how to be brave enough to navigate through this world on your own. But I'm happy with who I am right now, even with all the things I did wrong. Every mistake is a lesson, and it's up to you whether you learn from it or not. 
Often we have to repeat the same mistakes over and over in order to learn the lesson. There's this wonderful poem. It's called Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. It's by Portia Nelson. I'd like to read it for you. Chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost, I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. Can't believe I am in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit, but my eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down another street. The first time I read this, my life was like the first few chapters of the poem. I was constantly falling into the same hole. It just recently popped up again and I saw it differently. It made me question whether I was on chapter four or five. For now, I will say four. I'm walking around the hole. I'm working my way towards another street. Sometimes you don't know what you have until it's gone. But other times that thing needs to be gone for you to realize what you have. Walking down another street will require another huge life change. And not just moving, though I definitely do not want to stay in DC. I came here because of my wife's job, but as we are on our way to divorcing, she will no longer be my wife. I have no reason to stay. Truth be told, part of me stayed just in case we weren't truly done. It was a lesson I had learned from my first marriage. I had moved to Chicago from New York to live with the woman who would be my first wife. And I moved back to New York within months of us splitting. A decision I've always regretted. We probably never would have gotten back together but I'll never know because I gave up and ran back home. But this time around, part of me also stayed because I knew I needed to do the self-work. And part of that was not running away. I needed to live alone, away from everyone, away from every safety net. And I will never go back to live in New York. I was born and raised there. My family and closest friends are there. But I never really liked that city. The only things I liked were the stores, Tower Records, the bootleg shops in the village, Poster Mat. That New York is gone, 
Oh, and the convenience that I miss. The bodegas on almost every corner open all night long. That's something I really, really miss here in DC. But really, that's it. People are always shocked when they hear me say that I hate New York because it's the greatest place on earth, right? I never believed that. I always hated the people, and there's way too fucking many of them. And the city is just too busy, too fast, and too cold. And I'm not talking about the temperature. Especially in Manhattan. The skyscrapers are just so fucking imposing and ominous to me. And I find nothing nice about feeling like an ant scurrying about. So fuck New York, you can have it. We'll see if LA is any better when I could finally move there. Or I might leave the country altogether and move to Berlin or London. Though London is pretty much just New York with everything on the left. No matter where I go, first I have to pay off this massive amount of debt I've amassed since the breakup of my marriage. When we were together, my wife didn't want me to carry any debt. One of her boundaries. If I used a credit card, it was to be paid off monthly. To her credit, no pun intended, she helped me get out of debt years ago, which is peanuts compared to the hole I find myself in now. Because here's the thing about getting out of debt. When you get out of debt, your credit score skyrockets. And all of a sudden, all the good credit cards come after you. 0% interest for 50 years. Just come. We want you to spend with us. I built my credit line up to over $100,000 in a very short amount of time. But I was always careful to never carry more than 9% of that total available credit. So I would keep my excellent score. And then after we split, and I didn't give a shit anymore, no one was there to stop me. I just went fucking nuts. So while I didn't go back to drinking or smoking weed, the addict in me needed fixes. So I went back to buying things I didn't need out of just loneliness. I needed those bursts of oxytocin. If I always had a package to look forward to, I always had a reason to keep living. And I obsessed over my packages. As soon as I got the tracking number, I'd obsessively check to see where it was. And now I have all these nice shiny things and terrible credit. No cash because it all goes to rent and to paying back my credit cards. And the shiny things I bought, which I love, would never net me as much money as I paid for them if I chose to sell them. Oh well. It's just another one of those holes that I saw and decided to fall into again. So maybe I'm not on chapter four or five after all. But I will be. And aside from moving and starting over, 
I'm thinking walking down another street is a metaphor for living a different kind of life, not just a new life somewhere else. What that is, I have no idea yet, but I'm looking forward to finding out. I'm excited to be brave enough to try more new things. And now folks, enough about me. It's time for a lightning round. First up is Steven, whose question is a very timely one. Living alone for the first time at 31, how do I deal with the intense grief and move on simultaneously? At 31, my answer to that, Steven, was drugs and alcohol and women. At 42, I sat with the feelings and cried and lived through intense pain for months. I really wish I would have done that at 31, but I didn't know how. When my first wife and I broke up, I didn't have the head start on sobriety that I did the second time around. And Stephen, like they always say, time and space is the only way. I can remember the first few months after my wife and I split and I moved out particularly this one stretch of 12 days where we didn't talk at all. The longest we had ever gone without talking since we met. And it felt like I was being torn apart from the inside out. The pain was close to unbearable. Close, but not quite. Because I'm still here. I lived through it. I listened to sad music that would make me cry make me cry even harder than I already was crying. I did my best to keep myself from texting her. I distracted myself constantly, but she was never far from my mind. She still isn't. I still want to text her right this second and ask her how she is and tell her how I'm sorry and that I love her and I always will. But over time, I will think of her in a different way. We decided in September to stay in each other's lives, or rather, she decided. I had already wanted that. I'm still in touch with my first wife, but she's very much on the outskirts of my life. If my soon-to-be second ex-wife is as close to me as the moon is to Earth, my first ex-wife is Pluto. But that took many years to happen as it will take many years for me to fully move on from my second wife. This piece of wisdom I've never let go of is it takes half the length of a relationship to get over any relationship. Now, I don't know if that's true for everyone, but it certainly has tracked with me over the course of my life. I don't know how long you were together with your partner, Stephen, but one thing I know for sure is you can't rush grief doesn't go away on your timeline and grief is not a straight line you might feel like you're moving on and then suddenly you're back to crying constantly but then as time goes by you'll cry less and less and move on to other things find something that will fill your heart and I recommend you don't make that another person not right away that is a recipe for disaster. It might feel great at first, but it's just repeating a pattern of looking to someone else to complete you. 
I made a vow to myself, knowing what I did from the first time around, to not date anyone for at least a year. And it might actually end up being a lot longer than that. Be with yourself. Learn to enjoy being with yourself and feeling complete on your own. Next is Stefan who wrote, X made a clear statement that it's over and I can't get over it. I want her to be my wife after all. Stefan, it's not your decision. If someone wants out of a relationship, the other party can only try to convince them otherwise to talk things through, but they can't force them to stay. And even if you could, why would you want that? To force someone to stay who would only want to escape? To be with someone who does not love you? Just to have them in your life? To treat them as your property? You have to let her go. And you have to free yourself in the process. Next up is Nuno, who wrote, Can't let her go. It's been five years since we broke up. I'm going crazy. Nuno, Nuno, Nuno. She isn't even the same person she was when you were with her. I mean, she isn't, she isn't. She's grown without you, and you should have been growing all this time without her. But five years? You were keeping yourself rooted in the past. And it's a place that only exists in your mind. Free yourself. As I told Stefan, you need to move on. I know it's hard, but only you can do it. Next up is Ashwara, who wrote, Experiencing writer's block, I feel like I'm just not good enough. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The best piece of advice I ever got about writing, and this can apply to anything really, was from my old creative writing professor, David Wynn. Allow yourself to suck. That's it. That's the only way out. I used to get blocked up all the time when I wrote fiction. Everything had to be perfect. At times I get blocked writing this podcast. I had the hardest time writing last week's, and I think it kind of sucks. But I did it and recorded it and released it. Fuck it, I thought. Hopefully someone will get something out of it. I'm trying hard not to worry about things being perfect. There's always another podcast to make for the following Friday. And I'm feeling good about this one. Writing about myself now, the truth, without telling the truth, while hiding behind characters, has been so freeing for me. There's this book called The Artist's Way that, like most people I've spoken to who have bought it, I only read a little of. But it talks about these things called morning pages. When you get up in the morning, every morning, just write whatever it is that's on your mind. How you slept, how you feel, your weird dreams, what the day ahead might be like, someone you have a crush on, anything. I've started looking at this podcast as something akin to that, or like a diary or a journal, a window into my life. I get up every morning around 5 or 6, 
I get coffee, use the bathroom, wake up, and then I'm at it, writing away. Some mornings I can't think, I'm blocked or in a fog, and those mornings can absolutely suck. Some are brilliant, and I can look at the prior day's work and expand on it and make it better, until finally I get the script done by the weekend and record it. Then it's done, sent off to my producer to do additional edits in the sound design and publish the thing. And I'm on to writing the next one. So don't bog yourself down with how things should be. Just allow things to be. Don't shoot all over yourself, as my ex would say. And trust me, from experience as a fiction writer for 27 years, on and off, of course, because I was probably blocked for at least seven of those years if you put all that non-consecutive time together. Just keep going. To quote a previous episode, find your why. If writing is your why, you will go through any how to get it done. And that includes getting past the biggest roadblock, you. Now here's one that I can do a whole episode on. Actually, I kind of already have. Ashwin wrote, How to beat trauma. The short answer, Ashwin, is you can't beat it. You just have to keep it from beating you down so much. Childhood trauma has been fucking me up for many, many years. It takes lots of therapy, lots of self-work, lots of picking through emotional soil and sediment and sitting with what you find. I'm almost 43 and still dealing with shit from 30 years ago. The most important tool you can use is the knowledge that the things you learned were bad about you, and bad in quotes, were never true. Your mind has been lying to you for years through the shitty lessons you learned from people who were either terrible or meant well but had suffered their own trauma and passed it on to you. Speaking of trauma, I'm all too familiar with. Next up is Davey, who wrote, I have a stutter and it's so isolating. I just want to give up. It all seems so pointless. Davey, I feel for you so much. I dealt with the stutter and the related embarrassment for many years when I was a kid until my 20s. The only way I was able to conquer it and it still pops up every now and then. I mean, even when, when I'm recording these things, I sometimes have the old problems. It's like, they never really go away. But the only way I was able to get past it was working jobs where I needed to use my voice. It was a fucking nightmare. I would always get stuck on the first letters of words, and they would always switch on me. Words that started with H, then W, then E, then A. I still have my moments, like I said. That old fear kicks in. And I see words that begin with letters that used to scare me. Words that I typed in these scripts. And I could feel a twinge of that old panic while recording. And then I'll have to go back and re-record. I can clearly remember moments of terror at the law firm where I worked when I lived in Chicago. The firm took up an entire floor, and when I'd work reception, I'd sometimes have to page people over the intercom. 
the intercom, by the way, that blared through every inch of the place. The main partner's name was Alan, and I would always get caught on the first letter or the first two letters of his name and fear how it would come out, that it would just get stuck in my throat. Eventually, I added an H to the beginning just to sort of slide it. So instead of being like, ah, 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 it was, Helen, please dial reception. It was only through constantly using my voice, facing my fear every day that I got through it. And now I love using my voice. I mean, look, you're listening to it right now without a trace of stutter. But, you know, again, editing. There is hope, Davy. Hang in there. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks to everyone for writing in and to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. And follow my Instagram accounts. Nick Cave and the Bad Memes, Sad Peaks, Don Trooper, Mimi Bridgers, and the Sad Bastard Pod. On Nick Cave and the Bad Memes and Sad Peaks, I do Q&A in the stories where you can tell me what's on your mind. And I might use it on a future episode. You could also drop me a DM over at the Sad Bastard Pod. I'll be back next week. Until then, take care of yourselves, forgive yourselves, love yourselves, and stop falling into the same holes. Taking me down, my friend, as they usher me off to my end, will I bid you adieu? I'll be seeing you soon If what they say around here is true Then we'll meet again Me and you